Well, good morning, Grace. I want you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start reading the first verse, but, but you'll, you'll get there. Galatians 5.1, Paul makes this big claim. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, we're going, to come, we're, we're going to talk about this as we kick off a brand new series. But I think, man, it's just, man, I didn't think about this when we planned this uh, series, the timing and everything, that, man, the day before July 4th, it's like July 4th Eve today. Like, how many of you have neighbors that have already started shooting off mortars? Like, they're getting that, oh, yeah. I, I noticed you guys haven't slept much. Anyway, uh, it's great to have you here. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate independence, and we have a freedom we get this. We, we shared a little bit uh, in Megan's monologue. We are enjoying a freedom because of the sacrifice of someone else. Now, we, we've seen this in a number of different areas. For instance, I, I was raised in, in north central Indiana, and our house was right next to a, a cornfield and our property. And, and so the the farmer, when he decided to sell, he was going to retire, sold the cornfield. He, he sold part of this to my dad. And so my dad bought this, and what he did was get rid of corn, and he just overseeded it, and it just turned into, it was about an acre and a half lot. Now, here, here was the deal. I didn't realize how much this was going to impact my life, because at this point, I'd been given a great title. I didn't, uh, didn't make any money, but uh, I had great titles. I was director of lawn management for the Wagner family at the age of 10 years old. And my brother and I had, we were excited at first to have that much space, you know, for the go-karts and everything else until you had to mow it. And then you would think, you know, with an acre and a half that, you know, we'd have some riding mower. No, no, that right, the riding lawnmower didn't enter the Wagner family until my brother and I went off to college. And then all of a sudden, my dad, well, you know what, I think I'm going to get a riding lawnmower. Like, yeah, I saw where that was going. And so, so my brother and I would go out there. And so we, it, it, it was a, it was a, you know, had a gasoline engine and everything, but it was not a self-propelled mower. The only self-propelling that, that mower was this self. And, and so it was still kind of bumpy. And so you would get done mowing and, and your hands, you had to peel off your fingers because the vibration, everything you, you, and it was just, that was part of it. And so dad, dad made sure we mowed that, that, that field every single week. And we were never excited about it. So one, one day, we were kind of whining about doing it, and, and as my brother and I were fighting over who had to go first, I hear the sound, and it was fairly close. It was the sound of, a, of, an, of an engine running, and so I, I run out of the house, and we, we ran around the corner to where the field was, and would you believe it, my, our neighbor across the street had taken pity on these two little kids that just being so abused and having to push mow this field. And he was out there on, I still remember, it was, a, it was one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen, a red Murray riding lawnmower. And he mowed that entire thing for us. And I just stood there. And seriously, man, it's like the greatest thing in the world. I was so excited. And, and, and you know what I did not do when he was done? I did not dig out my little mower and go out there to make sure he didn't miss anything because I'm like, dude, he got the job done. I just walked away grateful. Now, not, not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, I was out to eat with a friend and, and I asked the waitress for the check and she said, somebody already picked up the bill. And I, I turned around and looked and she said, they're already gone. 
And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And you know what I did not do? I did not walk up to the catcher and say, hey, I just insist on pay. No, let me pay. Because I knew the price had been paid. I just walked away grateful that the price had been paid. Well, Paul is writing Galatians because the the churches in Galatia have actually fallen into this whole thing. It it would be like them, somebody mowing the yard for them, and them going back out and trying to mow the yard themselves. Or somebody picking up the tab for them at a restaurant and them going, no, I insist, I insist on paying. And you know, the Apostle Paul, like he, he's written, we have several letters of his in the New Testament, and normally, I mean, he takes his time getting into things. He eases in, talks about who he is and how he loves them, and, and he'll often include a prayer in the introduction. It, it's usually a whole, sometimes up to a chapter full of introduction, but that's not the case in Galatians. If you read through Galatians, and I, and I hope you do, throughout the series on the fruit of the Spirit, you, you've, you're, you're going to see something. Paul's a little hot when he writes this. And, and he, he says a few opening remarks and he jumps right into it in verse five of, Gal- I'm sorry, verse six of Galatians one. He's like, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. Now here's why, if you'll read Galatians, you'll find out that, that he had planted this church He had been part of many of these people coming to to faith in Christ. His message, man, I'm telling you, I love Galatians and Romans. Really, if you look at Romans is, man, it's one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible. This letter just spells out. It's like a a legal uh, argument for for what we have, what we can experience in Christ. It's just incredible. And then Galatians kind of summarizes some of that. But what you see is that the gospel he preaches that we are saved by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Now, any, anybody disagree with that this morning? Like, are, are we on the same page? Like, oh, yeah, 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 we're saved by grace through faith, right? I, nobody's, nobody's saying heresy yet, so that's good. But, but what he says, like, man, why have you turned from this? Why have you turned from this? You, you've turned from this to, to something else. And so he's introducing, he's taking them back to what the gospel is. He makes some big claims. He says that, he, he, he claims that we can fulfill the greatest commandment. It's right here in Galatians 5. He talks about this, that we've been given to love God with everything that we have, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he says that this is thanks to the Holy Spirit that's given to us as a down payment. And you're like, what's that mean? Well, it's, it's like God, God has given us the Holy Spirit as, as a means for us to begin to experience what we're going to experience for all eternity. We get a taste for it right here which I love that, I love that. He's, he's given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment for what is to come, what we're going to experience. Now, I'm not gonna break this down in great detail because we did this in a, in a recent series, but the Holy Spirit, just to make sure that we understand this, is not like this impersonal force. It's, it's not this energy or something like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, we read. The Holy Spirit takes joy. The, 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 the Holy Spirit encourages, comforts, uh, guides. The Holy Spirit is, is not something impersonal. It's very personal. It's literally the Spirit of Christ living in us. It's, it's, it's Christ living in us. It's awesome. And so the, this, this incredible thing that, that Paul is saying, it, it matters. It's, it's huge. 
He's saying that we can begin to experience here what we will fully experience in heaven. We can see chains of addiction broken here. We can see life change here. We can experience victory and freedom here. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life that, he, that we're going to see that is what makes walking in freedom possible. And again, like I, I haven't, you, you agree with this. Like we, we're all on the same page. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's great. That's great. We're, we're all for this. Well, Paul, who has introduced them to the gospel, trained them in the gospel, and then after he planted this church and left, he left the, 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 the churches in the hands of elders that he had invested in, trained, raised up, taught, that sort of thing. He says, we've got a problem here. You've turned to a different gospel. And, and, and what, was, what was part of this, and, and we've got we to get the background, we've got to lay the foundation for the rest of the series here this morning. He said, part of the issue, you've taken on a yoke of slavery, and it's because, in essence, you've embraced wrong answers to two very important questions that I think everybody who follows Christ asks at some point. The first question is this. How do I know for sure that I'm saved? How do I know for sure that I'm saved? Anybody ever thought, just maybe thought about that question? Anybody ever thought that? How do I know for sure if I'm saved? And, and here's, man, most of us have at some point or another. Every single week, I usually have at least one conversation, usually multiple conversations with either new believers, sometimes with people been been following the Lord forever, but because of a season they're in or whatever, they come back, they ask, how, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? You know, I, I can, it's very important that we have the right answer to that question. They had embraced the wrong answer, and we're going to talk about that. But the second very important question that, that they had embraced the wrong answer to was, was this, what do I do with this bent, this, this pull to sin? What do I, how do I respond to temptation? I still, at times, I feel this, this pull towards, towards sin. What do I do there? How, how really do I become good? And so there are questions that have to do with our security and our standing before, you know, with, with God. And then all, the other question has everything to do with uh, has everything to do with, with moral guidance. How, where, where do I go from here? How can I grow in this? And, and so apparently they've been asking these questions and they had people who had slipped in after Paul left to their Bible studies. They sat around uh, the Bible studies. They, they stopped by the churches, worshiped with them, and, and they had answers to their questions. They, they dominated the conversation. They wanted to make sure that they knew this. And they were, these were people who claimed to follow Jesus, but they taught a different gospel. And here was their gospel. And this is always a false gospel. Your assurance of salvation comes from two things. First of all, guys, you need to go get circumcised. Like if, if you don't know the Old Testament and I just said that, you're like, dude, honey, let's get out of here. This is getting weird. Let's go. No, no, I want you to hang with me. In the Old Testament, the circumcision on the eighth day after being born, a male was circumcised and it was a sign of the covenant between God and his people. You, you didn't have to ask the question, am I part of God's people? Because you had the cut, and it was the cut that, that meant that you were part of the family of God. And so, so they, they're like, hey, you, you know, guys, go get circumcised. You Gentile guys, you're, you're not Jews, but we, you know, we want you to follow Jesus, but, but if you want to have assurance, go get circumcised. Paul's like, no, that's, that's not it. In fact, he says here in chapter five, like he does not mess around. He's like, yeah, I, I wish these guys here troubling you with this, this false teaching would go emasculate themselves. That's pretty strong. You're like, he said what? It's right there. But the second thing that, that, that they, 
that they were teaching them to do was, you want to be good? Keep the law. Keep it perfectly. Keep all of it. All 613 laws, just do it. They're like, yeah, Paul introduced you to Jesus, but we want to introduce you to Moses because what you need is Jesus plus Moses. You need grace plus the law. And, and Paul's like, why are you turning from this, from the gospel that you've been taught to this false gospel? And, and by the way, guys, can I tell you that that is still the heart of every heresy that has to do with Christ? It's Jesus plus something else. That's at, that's at the heart of every heresy. It's at the, it's at the heart of, of every cult. That sort of thing that, that has some, something to do with Christ. It's that you need Jesus plus something else. I was talking to a couple church planners this week, and uh, they were just asking s- some advice. They said, we've been wrestling with a few things. One guy told me, he said that he had, uh, that he, they've just recently planted a church, and he had some false teachers, and this always happens. Like when, when we plant churches, one of the things that I, I caution teams about, I met with a, a team this week. One thing that I, we always talk about is one of those challenges you're going to have is when you begin to plant a church, a small church, a lot of people want to come in, and this is, a pl- this is a chance, man, for me to have, me to be looked at as a super saint, and I'm going to get some influence and all that sort of thing. And it happens almost every time we plant a church. We'll have people come in, and they'll, they'll weasel the way, way in, and they start teaching a false gospel. And they, they, the, the, uh, one guy was telling me, he said, man, he said, I got a guy, he's just teaching it's a works-based approach that, that here, here's, here's how you get saved. You got to do this, this, you got to stop doing this, this. And, and, and I said, man, I said, you got to address that. And he goes, I, I did. I said, well, how'd you handle it? He said, well, I don't know. He said, I just brought him in and said, that's heresy and you can either repent or leave the church. Leave the church. I'm like, oh, you are good. That was good. That's, that's what you do. Seriously, you've got to, we, we cannot be okay with a false gospel. Now, on the flip side, what do we do, though, when we believe intellectually and we can articulate the true gospel, but our lives indicate that we've bought into a false gospel? Because there's a difference, and this is the issue that the churches were, 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 were having. And it's, it's the issue, guys. We're still, we're always going to feel this tension. There, there's a tension there of, of believing it, saying I believe this, but then going and living as if I still got to keep all these rules. I'm going to find my confidence in this, 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 and this. That's a false gospel. This is why he's saying, why are you turning so quickly from, from what you've been caught, from what you've been taught? He says in verse 7, he says, you were running well. What happened? The wheels came off. And what they did, they they had moved their confidence because of this false teaching. They had moved their confidence from from Christ's work on on the cross to their work. And every time we turn our attention from Christ's work to our work, what we gotta go into this this whole thing of of performance-based and we begin to measure where we're at with what we see in other people. We either look at ourselves as better and yeah, well, we'll see where I am, or we, we live in despair because we can't hold to somebody else's standard. Guys, the gospel is not about performance, but here's why the false gospel uh, is, is so often lived practically out, even by people who articulate the right gospel. It's because it's easier to live by sight than it is by faith. It's a lot easier to have a checklist and that's my confidence. I don't even have to think. All I have to do is do. 
I just, I check off the box. It is so much easier. But here's the thing, what Paul knows and what he's teaching throughout Galatians, and as we jump into the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what we're going to see is that compliance with the law does not change the the desires of the flesh. And this is why he says what he does in verse 16 when he writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And what he does here is he, he addresses four types of sins. You probably aren't struggling with all these sins, but probably at some point you struggle with at least one of these general types of sins. There are sensual, there are sensual sins. Uh, I said I said four. There are three types: essential sins of sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality. Um, there are superstitious sins, idolatry, sorcery. Um, then there, there are sins against your brother and sister, social sins, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Then a couple other uh, sins that you probably put in essential sins: drunkenness and, and orgies. Things like these. Well, what he's doing, he said, he said this, is, this is the result. This is a result of your performance. Are you putting your confidence in your flesh? This is what you get. This is the desires of flesh. This is going to be part of, of who you are. Even as you try, this is what is going to be produced. And then he's pretty strong. He said, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice, he didn't say those who at times are tempted or those who have struggled. No, he said, those who do such things, a person who has set, this is going to be part of my life. And, and you know what? This is just who I am. This is, guys, this is rebellion against God. And he says, man, the end result here, it's not a pretty picture. Now, he, he's talking about the flesh here. And, and so over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing, well, we'll be talking about the spirit, we'll be talking about the flesh. When he's talking about the flesh, I want to make sure we're on the same page. He's talking about the bent of the whole person, body, mind, soul, will, and emotions, the bent of the whole person to rebel against God. That's who we naturally are. E- even if we don't think about it, we're not intentionally doing this, this This is how we're wired to rebel. I want to do it my way. And and so Paul is not denying the problem here. This is a problem. He's merely opposing the fact that the false gospel says the the, the solution to this is to trust Jesus and then add a whole bunch of laws to your life. He's like, no, that's not it. And so what he's doing, he is is introducing us to the spirit to walking by the Spirit. And there are four things that I want us to grab as, as, as we lay the foundation for where we're going over the next few weeks. First of all, what, what Paul is introducing in this section is that there is a good fight to be fought. There is a good fight to be fought. I got some good news for you. Maybe not, I don't know. But from now, until you get to heaven, you will face opposition. You're gonna face opposite. You're not going to get, go to heaven unopposed. And I think there are a lot of times we think that once I'm saved, like, man, the grass is going to be greener. The sky is going to be bluer. Everything's going to be great. I am never going to ever be tempted again. Yeah, you will. You will. It will happen. Don't be stressed about this. 
Don't be defeated over this. Just be prepared for this. You're going to face opposition. Opposition will happen. A lot of people will come to me and like, you know, something happens and, and they, they fall in or, 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 or they're facing this strong pull, this temptation. And they, they come in, they're, they're stressed. Like, man, what have I done? Man, is, is God through it? No, you, you haven't fallen. You're just being opposed. What, 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 what has changed after we hear, believe, and respond to the gospel is, is this. Once we're saved by, by grace through faith, it's just that we have a new opponent. And our issue is that, that we think that once we're, we're, we're done rebelling against God, that, man, it's a breeze going to, no. No, we just have a new opponent. You're, you're not going to be fighting God anymore. You're, you're going to be, there's going to be a battle against the flesh. You're going to feel this, this pull. Because here's the deal. We, we, before, before you uh, responded to the gospel, you were fighting God. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, and I don't, like to, I don't ever want to make assumptions. But man, if, there's, if there is someone here today and, and, and you, you know for a fact that you, are not, that you are not submitted to, you're not following Christ, or maybe you, know, you, you've, you've, you have like two parts of your life. You have the life that you live in front of people that are Christian, and then you have another life that, that you live with other people. But then there's this weird tension and struggle, and, and you don't find that rest. Well, it's because... You're never going to win that fight against God. But, but God isn't here to break you He's and, and, and just defeat you so he can say, I'm the king. No, no, he, he does this for your good, for my good. It's kind of like when, I, when, when Trey, my oldest, he was, I don't know, one and a half or two, and we were working at a college, and we'd had, we'd had uh, lunch at the, at, a, at, a, at the cafeteria. We were headed back to our apartment on the way back. I'd asked Trey to do something. He's two years old, and he's like, no. I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, Trey, I gave him another chance to, to respond. No. So I just let him do what he wanted to do. No, I did not. I'll tell you why we did. We had a come to Jesus meeting. And so we, we came in and, and, and we, we sat down and I, I held him in my lap. I said, bro. And I told him, I said, I said I, you have to obey me. I said, when I, when I ask you to do something, you have to obey. He said, no. And for the next hour and a half, he said no. And for the next hour and a half, I held him in my arms, and he wriggled and he wiggled and he tried to get free, and I would not let him. He was not obeying, but he was not enjoying his disobedience. Now, is there, is there pleasure to sin for a season? Yes. But there does come a place you don't enjoy the disobedience because you're wrestling with, with God. And after, and there were many tears, he was mad, then he was sad. But then at the end of the day, because I like to rhyme, he was glad because <laughs> there came a part, like a point. He said yes, and you're like, oh, you're terrible. Be careful, you're going to break his spirit. no. I'm going to break his will so he listens to me in, in the good sense of the term because it was two years later when my son and I walked out of Walmart and he took off ahead of me running through the parking lot as the car was backing up. He could not see it. When I yelled stop, he did not say no. He would have been, he would have been killed because he learned to obey his dad. He stopped 
And that was part of the part of the journey. Every parent, every parent knows what I've been through. You've had, you felt that that wrestling. Here's the thing: with God, God loves us enough. As He begins to call us, and, and we we resist, we're not going to win this battle. But there is such there is such freedom in saying yes. It's not that your life circumstances, all of a sudden you have all the money you want, everything goes well, you never get sick, and, and you're never betrayed or anything. No, it's just the fact that you're, you're no longer opposing God. You have opposition. You just have, you're just not fighting a bad fight, you're fighting a good fight. This, this week I was reading through 2 Timothy. It's the very last letter that Paul writes that we have record of Paul writing chronologically. And he says this, and I, man, I... If I could have anything written on my tombstone, I think, I, think, I think it'd be these words. Here's what he wrote to Timothy. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. And he said, I've kept the faith. That's, that's a pretty good way to go out. If you're going to have any last words, that's what I'm talking about right there. But did you notice he said, I fought the good fight. What's the good fight? Because a lot of times we're like, well, I gotta, we, we got we to gotta fight for this. We got to fight for that. It's, fighting. it's not fighting over the color of the carpet. I can tell you that in the church. It's not fighting with people about who they should vote for on, on Facebook or whatever. No, there, there, there's a fight that you and I, we, we face opposition. There is a good fight that we're called to fight in which we agree with the Spirit. And as we're going to see later as we continue to read, we, we agree with the Spirit. Because you see... There's something powerful here as, as Paul is making his, his argument. It's, it's a, like if you look at verses 16 through 18, his argument is pretty straightforward. He says, walk in the spirit and you'll escape the temptation to rebel, to live for yourself. He goes, he, he points out there's a war, but the, but the war is not, is, is not between you and sin. It's between, because we're, we're spirit led, we're spirit filled. It's, it's a war between the Holy Spirit and the flesh. He points out that it's the flesh that wants to keep us from following God, from, from living in the freedom for which we were created. But he, he, he concludes his argument in verse 18, pointing out the only way to experience this freedom is, is to walk in the Spirit. Adding more law and trying harder and doing more things and, and, and putting more, more things in place to fight temptation is not the place from which we, we should be fighting. I'm not saying that there aren't things that we should do, that, that the, but that's not our confidence, that's not our hope. No, this, th- this is it. There's a good fight in which we walk by the Spirit and we battle not from what we should do, but we battle from what has already been done. And that, that to me is a key. That's the second thing he shows us. You see, the believer fights from victory. The believer doesn't fight for victory. The believer fights from a place where the battle has already been won. This is good news, church. This is awesome right here. The battle's already been won. He goes on to talk, you know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You're like, how? It sounds like he's saying we got to do more. No, he's obviously not saying that. He said, that's not the way. How has it been done? No, you see, the legalists are coming in and they're saying, this false gospel is Jesus plus Moses. It's, it's the gospel plus the law. It's the cross plus circumcision. And Paul's saying, false. 
That's not the way you put flesh to death. That's not it at all. The flesh has been put to death already. You and I, we can't in our own self, in our own ways, defeat the flesh just because we're that good. Guys, can I tell you that once and for all, on the cross, Jesus defeated death and the flesh once and for all. It's done. And so the thing is not that I have to fight, that I fight the flesh so I can crucify the flesh. No, it's already been crucified. I, I love what, what Paul teaches elsewhere in Romans chapter six. He's, he's introducing this concept of baptism and he's talking about we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, catch this, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, he, he says earlier in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ and yet I live, but it's not I, it's Christ who lives in me. It's the spirit of Christ, we're walking by the spirit, living by the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit. That's the, that, that's the answer because Christ already won the day. He has already won the day. And you see, it's not something that we just have to be able to articulate it's not just that, that we take a few classes and so we can answer questions the right way. That, that's important, but it's not important. We can't just know it. We have to be convinced that it's true for us personally. And then we take it to the next step where the, the gospel, it does not just impact our thoughts and our philosophies. It literally impacts our entire life. We live as if it's true. We live as if death has been defeated. We live as if the flesh has already been crucified, as if Christ has already won. That to me is everything. It's just, you know, for instance, let me go back to the thing about the guy mowing the yard for me. When he mowed the yard, if I hadn't mowed the yard and I'd been breezing around the house at 2.30 in the afternoon or whatever, dad's like, hey, did you mow the yard? And I'd be scared to death because I know, well, no, I, no, I'm not gonna do it. If I ever said that, oh my word, I'd have a come to Jesus meeting, you know what I'm saying? And so there'd be, I, I, I would never say that, but no, I could walk in the house 2.30 in the afternoon, I'm walking, I'm walking around, I have no fear. I don't have to hide from my dad because the job hadn't been done. I actually am confident because the job's, job's already been completed. I didn't do it, but the work's been done for me. When somebody picks up the tab for me at a restaurant and I know that, I don't just, I don't, I don't live as if it hasn't been paid. Oh man, you know, digging through my, you found me find my wallet. No, I walk out and I'm not scared that somebody's after me asking me to pay. It's already been done. Church, it's time for us to start living in the, in the beautiful freedom that God has given us through the work of Jesus Christ. We walk in freedom. We live in freedom. We walk and live as if the work has already been done because it has already been completed over uh, around 2,000 years ago on a cross. Aren't you thankful for that, church? This is what I'm talking about. And this is why Paul is just blown away. Why would you trade that in for this? Why would you get rid of that for taking on a yoke of slavery? Putting my confidence in a cut, putting my confidence in a law. Why would you trade this in? You aren't fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. Are you going to be opposed? Yes. Are, are there going to be times in, in which you feel this wrestling? Yes. But as we walk by the Spirit, we live in the Spirit, we keep step with the Spirit. The fruit that comes from that is spiritual. It's not us. It's what Christ is doing in us. And we experience freedom, deliverance, and all the other things that you and I want to experience that one day we will know fully. We can begin to understand now, thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit. Christ is one, guys. And you know what? If he's won, you've won too. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. 
you guys can pray for me this year because it's terrible. I thought for a while we were going to set a record and a bad record. I thought we were going to be the most losing team in the history of baseball when we started our season. I am so glad that my life is not tied to Cincinnati Reds because they've been an epic failure since 2000. They have done nothing for me as a Cincinnati Reds fan. Can I tell you, since I met Jesus Christ, I had no, I, I don't think, I, though I was raised in the church, th there are times you just, man, it, it's not enough to know it. It's not enough to believe it. Man, you've got to experience it. And what I have found is because of what Christ did, I am free. There's, there's a victory that comes from that, which I love. I love, guys. And man, I got to finish this, man. I'm getting fired up. This is good. Now, there, there, there are two last things I'm going to hit very quickly. Because we're like, man, okay, so I, I know that I'm part of this because he's talking about, you know, th there is, I have fought the good fight. What's the good fight? Well, there's a fight to be fought. There's a part to be played. My confidence doesn't come in my effort. It comes in, in, in the, the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the, the believer's fight begins with faith and surrender. Begins with faith and surrender. Let me illustrate this real quick. All right, let me see here. Um, Hey, would you come up here real quick? Will you help me out? All right. So here's what I want you to do. Let me throw this down. I want you to take that, and I want you to start walking over there to the edge of the platform, okay? Hey, Steve, come here. I'm going to have you help me out. Steve, I'm going to have you. I'm going to have you grab the other end here. Okay, so just go, and, and then what, what you can do, start wrapping it around so there's no, so there's no looseness. There you go. Yeah, start, start wrapping it up. All right. There you go. Now I'm going to bring you in just a little bit. Okay, right there, okay? And go ahead and wrap it up a little bit more. Okay, now, now pull the slack all the way out. We'll pull it all the way out. Okay, so here's the deal. What, what, do, you think, what do you think about this guy right here? You think he could beat you in a tug of war? What do you think? You think you could beat him? Okay. <laughs> all right, so here's the deal. If we're having a tug of war, because I, I know this guy here, Steve, I've played basketball with him. He's made me look like an idiot so many times. Just, he's really good. He's really good. But, but, you know, if we're, doing, if we're doing a tug of war and Steve's pulling on this, he's probably going to be able to pull you in, even if you're resisting. Now, you might be able to, to fight a little bit, you know what I'm saying? But he's probably going to win because he's bigger. Here's the deal. In like 20 years, when you're big and he's in a nursing home, you do this again. You'll beat him, okay? I know you'll beat him. But let me, let me, let me, let me take this again. Let's just say that, for sake of illustration, my, my, uh, my buddy here, he's going he's gonna to climb Mount Everest. And this is the first time you're ever going to climb this mountain. And Steve has been there. He's a guide. He's been there many times. He, he knows it. You know, it's interesting. They don't, they, 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 have, they have the rope tied to the person that's going to anchor this. He knows where he's going. He's, he's going to lead them to safety. And even if there are times that, that you fall, the rope is not meant for you guys to fight and to, to struggle with. The rope is actually meant as a, as a thing to bring you home and to lead you and to guide you. Can I hear it from my, you guys can go on down, man. Can I hear it from my, my helpers here? You guys are on it, man. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Thanks, Steve. So, so here, here's, here's my point. This is a simple little illustration is this. What we do is instead of viewing the work of God is something that we have to fight against. That anytime we pull that pull the flesh and I just got to go there. No, we're not fighting with God. We're following God. Difference between fighting and following. And what the Holy Spirit has, the Holy Spirit, I love this, man. Jesus said, it is good for you that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come because he said he's going to guide you into all truth. 
He's, he's going to guide us. We're going to walk with him. But it's not just the reason why Jesus said it's better. His disciples were with him. But it's not just that we're walking with him. It's that the Holy Spirit is within. And there's something beautiful to this church. As we, instead of fighting, I've got to do this, I've got to struggle, I've got to do this. And, 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 and what we do, we don't even realize, we're not intentionally doing this, but we're stealing God's glory because we're thinking it's our work, the work's already been done. We surrender, we follow, we walk by faith. Tony made mention in his announcements that we were over at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, evangelistic service on Wednesday night, and it was so cool to see so many kids, probably around 200 kids or so, respond to the invitation that night. Just awesome, awesome. But the speaker, John Copta, he's the chaplain for the University of Arkansas athletic program. He said something that's been resonating with me ever since Wednesday. He said, God will do more with your surrender than he will ever do with your greatest performance. And I've thought about that because a lot of times we live as if we think we have to prove to God, I'm gonna do this for you. This is how much I like, let me fight this. Paul's saying, no, no. Why would you desert what you have? The, the fight's already been fought. The victory's already been won. I don't need your performance. I need your surrender. And church, that's, that's where it begins. That's what we're going to be looking at, the fruit of this that comes over the next month and a half or two months as, as we're in this. We're going to see the fruit that comes because here's what I want you to leave you with. The believer's freedom is found in walking by the Spirit. And that word that he used for walk, the, 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 the general sense, the usage that you see in, in the Old Testament and other places, it's, 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 it's used to describe one's daily conduct or lifestyle. It means to walk around after someone, to walk in a particular direction. And, and it's not just a, a command. It is in the imperative uh, sense, but, but, it, but, it, but it, more than that, it's, 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 uh, it's a present perfect it's not just that I want you to walk, but it's, it's walking as if I'm going to continue to walk. I'm not going to stop and start. I'm, I'm going to continue to walk in the Spirit. It's, you know, we have several interns that are, that are here at the church that are training, uh, preparing for ministry. And so what, the, the greatest thing for internship is not me having a class with interns. The greatest thing for me is when I go to a funeral or I, I'm having a wedding or something that, that an intern is with me. So they don't, they don't just hear it, they, they see it. They get opportunities. We, we do this, we do this together. This is what it looks like for the Holy Spirit. He's like, yeah, there's gonna be fighting. You're gonna be the, the effort, but, but it's not like this is you. It's you're, you're doing this in me. You're resting in me. You're walking by the Spirit. A big point is simply this, the freedom that Paul begins Galatians 5 with, it comes not from external compliance to the law, but this, this freedom comes from internal reliance on the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit, and, and guys, this is the secret and it's really not a secret. The only reason it's a secret because it seems so good to be true. It's something we sing about, talk about. We've, like if you've been around the church, you, I'm not hitting it with anything new. But, but what I'm challenging us to is what if we would live as if this was true? What if 
What if our lives would reflect the fact that the gospel has not just impacted our minds and our philosophies, but it has impacted actually our faith. We believe and live as if what we know to be true is actually true because church, it is, it is. In March of 2006, after serving the Lord for seven years, I got this. And what I mean, I, it, was, it wasn't like this magical, I don't have time to tell the entire, the, the entire story. But God, in, in 1999, forgave me my sins. He transformed my life, which I was so thankful. Mean, just that assurance of knowing I belonged to God was a beautiful thing. But, but I always felt like there was, man, I, I had to do this. And, and there was, for so much of my, my early life with Christ, it was, I had to do this. I had to do that. And when everything clicked, it's a story for a later time on the, on the how and all that sort of thing. But the point was where I got it. And I realized that the fight wasn't my own, but the fight had already been won. The, score had, the scoreboard, whatever the scoreboard says at the end of the game, I had, when I started the game, I already knew the, the game would have been won. Once that clicked, it changed everything. And guys, I've never been the same. And I, I would even say this. And then not, listen, do you have a perfect pastor? You do not. Like, do I have my struggles? Yeah, I have my There's... Right now, the only thing separating us is, I don't know, what is this, two foot, two and a half foot, something like that. I just have to be standing up here on a platform. But what I've experienced is what i experienced. The fruit of this is totally different from the fruit of striving in the flesh. And that is what we're going to be studying. This is what I believe God wants to do with us and through us. And so God, as we've laid the foundation for where we're going, I pray that we would understand the incredible privilege the opportunity that we have to accept, embrace the gospel, to not just hear it, not just to understand it, but to believe it and then to live it. And God, I'm praying that, that each person here, first of all, if they haven't experienced the gospel, I am praying that in some way you would transform their lives. Dear God, that you would call them. I know that you do this. No man comes to me unless the Father draws them. That's what your son Christ said. And I just pray that you begin to draw people to you. You would change them. But God, for those of us that have been walking with you, we've been forgiven, but maybe we're not walking freedom because we haven't understood what's been given to us. I pray that beginning today and then over the next several weeks, Lord, that you would help us understand the incredible gift we've been given, the Holy Spirit who is with us. The fight's been won, and the Holy Spirit is walking with us. And so, God, as we keep in step to God, may we see a fruit that comes not from our performance, but comes from what you are producing within. We love you. Thank you for what you're doing and for what you're going to continue to do. We'll praise you, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Guys, have an incredible July 4th. We'll see you next week.